Over the last quarter century, data and its ability to provide valuable insights for companies to plan, predict, and implement strategies has expanded exponentially. Organizations have grown more reliant on data, and the speed at which data is uploaded and analyzed now must match the pace at which it is generated. Data has to be up to date and available almost immediately in order to just keep the business running. Mark Vandewiel is the CTO of HVR, a company that specializes in partnering with enterprises to realize the full potential of data through real-time data replication. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Mark explains why data replication is an imperative step for companies wanting to take a more data-driven approach, how replication is providing real-time insight as opposed to batch data uploads, and why having a single source of truth when it comes to your data is just good business. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the CTO of HVR, Mark Vanderweel. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here, Albert. All right, let's get it started. What is HVR and what does it do? So HVR is a technology provider that provides real-time data replication software for replication between heterogeneous environments. Most of our customers will have transactional database systems from which they want to replicate data and consolidate it in a analytical environment. The uh, analytical systems, whether it's data warehouse, a data lake, or a reporting system, those are the common use cases. It's continuous real-time replication between those systems Oftentimes, it's ERP systems, it's, it's high-quality data that our customers want to replicate in those, into those analytical environments. So, I mean, it makes total sense, right? In order to get that enterprise view or if you're in order to make the BI work in your favor, you need data from all sources to be, I guess, it helps to have it all in one place so it can pull from one, let's say, master table or a query so that it could answer the questions a business needs answered. But I'm curious regarding, you mentioned replication. Can you explain to our audience why replication is so important? Like why, why does there even need to be software to replicate the data? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. And it's, of course, a common question that we uh, address. So replicating data gives you benefits as an organization. We work with a lot of customers who have extremely high volumes hitting their transactional systems. And organizations are really I'd say paranoid or say worried that the transactional system is going to slow down. So they want the most optimum way of capturing those changes without generating any impact on their systems and replication enables them to do it. Now replication, I, I mentioned the, um, the analytical use cases and um, I mentioned the, the desire for organizations to analyze their data there's often more than one source system that organizations want to unlock. They want to combine data from inventory systems, from supply chain systems, maybe their social media data sources. There's lots of different data sources that organizations want to unlock and analyze. 
And replicating the data then is a a very non-intrusive way of moving the data from a busy source system that is mission critical for the organization into that analytical environment where it might be uh, ready for analytics just right as it arrives there or organizations want to, to do small increments of transformations on top of the data after it's been replicated. Um, so rather than hitting the source when pulling new data, they actually hit a copy of the data that's already been removed from that mission critical system. And replication uh, fundamentally is built around real-time replication. So that is a, a core aspect of, of the ability to do the replication. So give us an idea for our audience members who are not quite sure what replication could potentially unlock. I think, I mean, the what it is or how it can be accomplished seems self-explanatory, but give us an idea of what it can unlock by replicating versus, you know, I guess moving. What, what's the other alternative? What was the world like prior to HVR enabling replication? How are companies handling building data lakes? Yeah, so the the, the traditional approach to let's say data integration is to do batch data movement so um what you could choose to do is is on a daily basis and well the further back you go in time the less frequently uh, these operations would take place <laughs> but you could take a batch operation and move data into a data lake of course as data volumes have grown and as systems have become busier to perform a one-time load has become more expensive, if you like, from, from a data movement perspective. So that is, that is introducing a challenge. It makes you less efficient. It puts more load on the SOAR system. And, well, you can, you can increase the frequency, but at some point you can't keep increasing the frequency of your incremental loads unless you have a way to do change data capture. Technologies have been built around this concept of, well, we just look at the, the last modified date on the data and we just pull any, any increment since we last pulled the increment across into the data lake. And that's all fine, but it's only fine for data that never gets deleted because if data does get deleted, and we, we see that in transactional systems all the time, then there is no last update date that you can rely on that says, oh, we need to now process this data or we need to do something with it. We need to maybe record the fact that the data is no longer available. So there's lots of challenges associated with uh, one-time data movement. So, so again, uh, just to summarize, maybe three things. There's the, the, the load on the source system, there is the, the challenge of doing the change data capture. And then it's just that it's, it's not the real-time aspect. Now, what, what organizations now want to achieve uh, more and more so, and that's where data really is more and more becoming the lifeblood of organizations. That's how you differentiate your offering. You know something about how customers interact with your organization relative to what maybe your, your competition is trying to achieve. Organizations want that data because they want to make it really the, it's becoming more and more the core differentiator. And 
real-time replication is is an enabler for those kind of use cases that really make the organization more data-driven. We we talk about the the digital transformation and well, cloud adoption is kind of like a separate track, but in line with um, with the same approach where the data replication, the efficiency of it, and the real-time aspect are really core enablers to make organizations more and more data-driven. So give us an idea of what the timeframes are like, because I do remember back in the day when, for example, working on different ERPs and let's say we were doing full-on cycle inventory counts where different inventory warehouses were reporting back all their numbers. And I do recall, you know, it wasn't real-time. Like, you didn't see in real-time what every inventory house was counting. Once the sub-locator like, or the warehouse would finish their count, you might come in the next day and you would know how much product you actually carried. So you'd be a day away from knowing how much product you carried and how much product you needed to reorder to replenish and how much orders are going out. So that was like a full day of work. Give us an idea of how fast things have changed now that replication is available. Do you have any examples of, hey, it used to take a company this frame of time to you know, get up to date. Now it takes this new frame of time for a company to continuously be updated. So you're, you're absolutely right, Albert, that with, in the batch times, it often used to be a day, if not more, before data eventually became available for analytics. Nowadays, with a data replication, it's really an ongoing, it's a continuous flow of data. As changes hit the source systems, they get moved on to the destination systems. And I think there was a good example in the um, consumer packaged goods that uh, one of our customers, what they do is replicate data for analysts who end up deciding for a, um, this is a supply chain um, use case. Essentially, they decide what, what point, like how much product goes to individual points of sale. Mm -hmm. And that is determined by looking at replicated data. So, and it's to the point that there's like literally globally, there's thousands of analysts who determine for their specific region or, or, or area code, how much product goes to, to the specific location based on inventory, based on what's available in the distribution center, optimizing routes, et cetera. There's all of these, these variables that go into the mix. But it's to the point that very literally the trucks will not be able to leave the distribution center unless the replicated data is available and those analysts can decide point of sale, okay, how much of what product goes to every individual point of sale. And if you think back like a year, right, lockdown just gets started. There was a rush on toilet paper, as an example. And this organization, <laughs> like literally in that CPG uh, vertical, trying as best as they could to make sure that product made it into point of sale in a way that the point of sale would not run out of product. And that so, and that all on the back of replicated data, knowing that if the replication was going to be down, they wouldn't be able to distribute product. Uh, so that is, I think, a, a quite an extreme example of, well, data has to be up to date and available almost immediately in order to just keep the business running. So, you know, my next question is more of a personal question in your, in your career. You know, you've been in 
a technical role for quite some time. It looks like you started as a product manager back in 2001 with Oracle. I'm curious, did you foresee this need for data replication existing back then? Like, when did you start noticing, like, huh, there might be a market just to just to replicate data is an actual service that people need? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So, and actually, <laughs> my career goes back a few years prior to 2001. I came to the United States in 2001 as an Oracle employee. Gotcha. When I was working, I was working for Oracle overseas. And we actually built data replication for an employment agency back in like the, the, the very late 1990s. And that was on the back of Oracle's native data replication capabilities. I then came to San Francisco in, in 2001 as a product manager working for Oracle. In 2008, I left Oracle to join a company, uh, Golden Gate, and uh, we worked at uh, replication projects Back then, I wanted to use my knowledge of the Oracle database technology to expand my knowledge into other uh, database technologies. And that's how um, I thought by, by looking at heterogeneous data replication scenarios, that's how we end up uh, or that's how I can personally develop myself into learning a bit about these other technologies. And then that company got acquired back into Oracle left again and, uh, and then ended up at HVR um, just about seven years ago to drive the replication, the concept of replication from, from HVR's perspective. Now, if I think back to, um, well, late 1990s is one thing, then it was homogeneous replication, this, the same flavor of technology on the source on the destination side. In 2008, at Golden Gate, it was uh, still a lot of homogeneous replication, but some heterogeneous. At the time, organizations didn't quite understand the need for real time. And nowadays, with this most recent run, and, and this was already seven years ago, this was already uh, pretty clear to lots of organizations, the need for ongoing change data capture, the value that's there, and then also organizations nowadays seem to uh, identify themselves when there is a need for this kind of technology. So that's to see the, the replication world evolve over time has been quite exciting um, from that perspective. Yeah, because, you know, from an outsider's perspective, obviously you've been inside that world and seen it very developed from very close in. You know, it seems crazy that replication could become a service onto itself. Do you know what I mean? Like, it seems like something that every product could potentially offer or, you know, I could see this just a handful of years ago, most businesses saying like, oh, we'll just build an API and you can call out whatever data points you need and you can just build your own data lake, you know, <laughs> right. you know, it seems unfathomable that uh, not unfathomable, but it's it's hard to comprehend that you could actually build a business with services like this. Talk to me about like. You know, you mentioned before you you could see and witness the volume, the demand, the customers needed services that could do this faster. What were some of like the benchmark or some of the things you remember in your career when someone started asking you questions about their business where you started realizing, oh my gosh, like right now, today, data replication, not fast enough for what these people are trying to do. Yeah, so we keep um, pushing the envelope from a performance perspective, right? Like I remember as a as a product manager in data warehousing back in the um, early to mid 2000s, 
it was like, oh, we've got a customer who's got five terabytes of data, or 10 terabytes of data, and maybe a couple dozen terabytes of data. And oh, geez, that's a lot of data. And that was in a data warehouse, right? So that's potentially a consolidated system from multiple data sources. So whilst the sources wouldn't have quite that volume, the data warehouse, oh, it was it was a giant um, volume of data. And then, of course, we've heard big data, uh, kind of that theme, let's say, in the last 10 years, a little bit less so today than, than it started off with, but all, a lot of that centered around the Hadoop world. And now, from a data replication cost, uh, perspective, we have multiple customers, and whether that's in finance or in online retail or in manufacturing, several organizations who generate more than a terabyte of changes on a single system in a day, right? <laughs> a couple terabytes a day of cha just change records. Absolutely, yes. One terabyte <laughs> of change records in a day. And these are some of the largest organizations in the world. So it is kind of like the the leading edge from that perspective, but it is, but it gives you a, an appreciation for how far the technology has come over those years when like you were talking about volumes that you thought were, were massive, like, well, let's say around the year 2000 and nowadays organizations have literally that change volume every single day, if not more than, than, than the volumes of the total systems like back two decades ago. It's, um, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. I mean, as you know, <laughs> I think about like two concurrent, there's so many concurrent paths to accommodate for this, right? We keep talking about, you, you hear about networks. Networks are going to move more data faster, 5G, right? Storage, storage, you know, what used to be a thumb drive used to hold like, you know, eight megabits of data. Now it's holding, you know, terabytes. I've seen some of like the, uh, I've seen some of the flash drive storages for media, you know, when like, like digital cameras, you know, they're, they can put whole movies now on like, <laughs> or whole days, whole days of shooting on these storage devices. And then like what you're talking about, this constant need for replication, just so it can be utilized by potentially another function or service so that it could, like you mentioned before, marry two data points together to get an insight that a business otherwise would not have. This continuous demand is always happening. I'm curious on your side, when you know, you're the CTO at HVR, you're probably constantly being introduced to new requirements. You know, we always say it's, it's endless, but it feels like it, it's, it, there's finite. There's only so much capacity and throughput that can, that can happen. What are your perspectives on how the future of data is going to be you know, moved, stored, and of course, in your world, replicated. Like there seems to be an insatiable appetite. You're more data being produced all the time, like you said. But like, is there a limit? Is there a stop? Is there a point where companies are going to be like, yeah, we actually have too much information and we can't get anything out of it? Yeah, that's a very interesting thought. And and of course, you'd like to think when you work in this industry that the sky is the limit, and there's never going to be a a point that you could say, well, the technology has just um, reached its its capacity and we can't go any any further beyond it. I think from a from an organization perspective, there's there's of course a different sources of information and and that is I would classify data as like high quality data and then maybe medium and, and, and lower quality data, both from the perspective of 
what's the origin of the data, but then also like what's the the quality, like how reliable is the data in a sense? And then there is so in the in the in the top bucket that I described, right? The most valuable data that is like arguably legacy, but still commonly used and and absolutely mission critical for so many organizations is the ERP type data, right? It's the packaged applications. It's maybe homegrown systems. It's Salesforce data, for example, right? Like it's it's CRM. It's it's uh, supply chain management. It's it's that kind of data that is absolutely critical to make the business beat, to make the organization run. That kind of data is, of course, very valuable data, highly trusted extremely reliable. Now, then there's a a second class of data that could be considered uh, slightly less reliable, but every single data point is maybe not as important. So an example of this kind of data would be machine-generated data, Mm -hmm. right? Let's say I'm a manufacturer of uh, locomotives, and I have built my my engines for, for the last 10 years full of sensors, and I'm gathering that data from all these sensors, and I'm going to try to do uh, preventive maintenance, for example, or I am going to enable my my customers, the the railways who who buy these locomotives, I'm going to enable them to operate these engines at a slightly higher average speed over the lifetime of this engine than they otherwise could have, which in the end for the for the railroad is is going to generate like tens of millions of dollars of, of value right there. You're enabling this by using these sensors. So you're going to uh, analyze the data that comes off of these sensors and you're going to look for anomalies. You're going to look for trends and you'll get all these data points, but that's arguably slightly less valuable data. Like you know that your sensors might have have a data point, like they're out there in the wild, if you like, and it like it might be like below zero degree temperature, right? Like so, you know that there mm-hmm. there might be reliability issues with your sensor. There might be data points that come through incorrectly. So there's there's all sorts of challenges that you deal with, which you won't have if you take your SAP data and you need to know inventory of of a particular uh, item. So that's the second class of data, and then a third class of data is where Maybe you take a, um, and this is not meant to be uh, uh, disrespectful, but just the type of data that comes up is organizations want trend data and they're looking at social media. They look at Twitter feeds. They look at Facebook feeds and pull in that data in order to make sense of what's going on, right? Like we have another example, an apparel um, organization so a, a retailer essentially in the in the apparel uh, world they try to optimize optimize their marketing campaigns they look at fit, fitness tracker data they may combine this with some trending data but then they need to know inventory data out of, like per region to optimize marketing campaigns for their customers who obviously have a regional association in a way that they know as they generate these marketing campaigns that they will be able to fulfill product based on on where in let's say the nation they decide to run the campaign and that like those kinds of use cases I think are extremely interesting 
and seeing like how in this particular case, HR replicates the high value SAP data in order to provide that that inventory information uh, to some extent, supply chain uh, information that feeds into that to then help uh, relate that to the, uh, the the fitness tracker data and maybe some of the trending information that might come out of out of Twitter feeds or or Facebook or or or, or other social media sources like that. No, it's pretty pretty fascinating. All its demands and needs. When you when you look at it, do you have does HVR have to kind of solve for capacity and limitations? Right, because you're mentioning all these different sources, all these different places. We already talked about. You know, data often depends on latency storage like, you know like there's certain things that you don't you don't control at the software level are there dependencies and things that restrict or in you know limit your ability to replicate there's challenges and uh, we <laughs> on an ongoing basis obviously we we try to address those challenges now one one interest so so one benefit that we have and that is fundamentally when when the product was first designed, it was architected to operate in a distributed setup. And that was an early design decision that we still benefit from today because using that distributed architecture, there's essentially three benefits that we gain. The first one is simply performance. Um, with the distributed architecture, we like to operate on the data as close to where the data either comes from or needs to go. So um, let's say that uh, not all data needs to get replicated. You filter the data at the source or as close to the source as possible. You then, uh, or the technology then will compress the data very densely. So we end up using limited bandwidth as the data moves across the wire. We get lots of performance benefits like that, local access to systems as much as possible, low latency, there's performance benefits. Second uh, benefit is simple scalability because we've got these busy systems that we're dealing with. Now, uh, organizations may have multiple individual systems that each generate a terabyte of changes in a day, and they want to consolidate that into a single system on the destination side. Now, as a technologist, I've seen this over and over again, is you've got to realize that a system that is built for analytic or for online transaction processing isn't necessarily suitable to run analytical processing. And likewise, a system that's optimized for analytical processing isn't necessarily well-equipped to run an, an online transaction processing workload. So you've got to build optimizations in the technology and uh, be, because you want to be able to keep up with the volume coming from the source, multiple sources in this case, into the destination. And the distributed architecture makes an environment like that scalable, both from a performance perspective, but also from a manageability perspective. If it wasn't distributed, but rather centralized, you would soon enough run out of steam on your centralized environment. And then how do you scale that? Like that becomes a management challenge in and of itself. So scalability is, is the second benefit. And then the third benefit is really around security, where with a distributed architecture and with essentially software running at the, at the edge, very close, if not 
on the same machine at where the source runs or where the destination runs. With that distributed architecture, you then get a unified way of accessing the systems. You can control the encryption that happens on the wire, well, as well as anywhere it lands on disk. You can also utilize technologies such as proxies because organizations might be very hesitant to open up firewalls directly into production data processing environments. So you use a proxy in a demilitarized zone in order to get to those machines. So there's security is really the third benefit when we think about the underlying distributed architecture. But then with an architecture like that, we scale really well to those large volumes. And on modern infrastructure, we do have the ability to keep up with the volume. We we keep the changes in a transactional order. So we make sure that coming from a trusted source on the target, you're not going to see unexpected results. We maintain consistency along the way so that if, if you have related tables, let's say there's a customer table and there's an address table, you're not going to end up with addresses on your destination that don't have the associated customer record or let's say customer records for whom you you don't have an address record like neither of those situations occur if those situations not occur on the source now so we scale well from that perspective from from a performance there is an always a need to parallelize as much as possible we've seen some of this from a replication perspective, but it's even, it's been even more prevalent to do it for the initial load scenario, right? Because yeah, like it's great. We've decided that we want to build a, a data lake or we want to do um, build a, a data warehouse on top of our ERP data, but we've got a hundred terabyte system out of the gate. Like, how do we get started, right? <laughs> and and how you get started is to first do your initial load. And that is, we provide the capabilities to do that as well. From a technology perspective, it's an end-to-end solution to configure the replication and get it up and running and, and validate the data after it's there. But to, to do that initial load, like organizations don't want to like spend a month loading data, you want to be efficient. So we take advantage of that architecture. It's the same compression, the same encryption, all of that benefit, both the initial load as well as the incremental uh, loads. But you've got a table with 10, 20, 100 billion rows. It's going to take a while just to to select it out of the source uh, database, deliver it into the destination. And particularly in those kinds of scenarios, that's where parallelism comes in. And you want to just simply balance how many resources can we allocate so that we can still uh, push the data across within a reasonable amount of time. So let me ask you one more question about, you know, the business. I'm curious because, you know, there's a lot of companies now, let's say, born in the cloud, right? They've never had a data center. They've started directly from cloud and let's say they want to stay there. I'm curious, is there any fear that people will just say, well, you know, the native public clouds, they'll just develop replication service. I mean, I think they already have, but like, you know, what, the, where are they, is that a fear where the public clouds themselves just say, well, we'll just provide the replication service so that you can, you know, all your services are here in this cloud and we can just then duplicate your database, all records and transactions so that you can build data lakes. It's not a problem. Why is that not a fear? Well, 
why is that not a fear is, is or is it question. <laughs> it is a fear right but it, yeah however i think the um, there's still i think limited appreciation in 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 many cases for the true high volume replication that i believe hr plays in right there's still a, a fair amount of on-prem environments and sure the the market is diminishing i'm absolutely not going to deny that but still there's lots of environment that i think will be around for a pretty long time to go in the on-prem world but at the same time don't be mistaken here albert hr also supports an awful lot of cloud native technologies right now you talk about the competition from the cloud vendors themselves absolutely it's there uh, technologies are there but the uh, they focus on single cloud and the reality is and i literally yesterday i read an article about this uh, multi cloud is real and the vast majority of the organizations i think it was something like 92% of the organizations that had responded and contributed to this bit of research they were in a multi cloud world yeah now of course multi cloud is a is a pretty broad term but we even see that organizations choose different uh, major clouds even for some of their workloads. And, and I think part of the reason there is because organizations have a need for, let's say, a certain type of analytics. And, and maybe if it's machine learning, then maybe uh, Google Cloud is the way to go because they have the most advanced algorithms. But maybe if you want, let's say, more traditional data warehouse workloads, maybe you should look at AWS or Azure. And with the cloud, what's happened is you can choose a technology, try it using a pay-as-you-go scheme, so that gives you very low risk, and it's scalable out of the gate. And think like 10, 20 years ago, like you'd have to make like a thorough decision because it would be a, a, a very significant capital investment in order to pull up an environment that would be able to support like for the time, a high volume workload. Now it's so easy to try it. And with the ease of access to the clouds, you see that organizations end up in a multi-cloud environment. So that AWS is not going to be so motivated to help organizations move data out of, uh, let's say, uh, an RDS database into Google Cloud, right? nor vice versa, right? So, and that's where I think there is absolutely a place there for HVR, and um, that's where I'm really excited about the opportunities in, in the market. No doubt. With the onset of better DevOps tooling that is building every day, absolutely, that's what's going to happen is companies will just take advantage of the best services. Like Literally, like you said, whoever has the best service, I'm just going to use that service. I don't care what cloud it's on. So yes, all the data and transactions, no one's going to be fully dependent then on their replication from one place either. <laughs> right. Strong answer. I wanted you to share that opinion. So, I mean, I, sh- well, I think you and I share the same opinion in case any of our listeners differ. I wanted them to hear that. But Mark, you know, it's time right now for the lightning round. And the lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Mark, this is where we ask you questions not related to work so that people could get to know you better. All right, let's do it. All right. Where did you, because you mentioned it earlier that 2001 was the first time you worked inside the United States. Where did you go to school and where were you working before then? 
Yeah, so I went to college in um, in Eindhoven in the Netherlands, and um, I actually I was um, I was following two degrees. One was electronics, and the other one was business administration. I eventually completed about three out of four years out of electronics, but then I lost interest. Uh, business administration, I did manage to uh, to complete my degree. Gotcha. Were you born in the Netherlands? I was. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I have read an interesting factoid that the people of the Netherlands have the longest legs of any nation, that you are, that the people of the Netherlands are extremely tall. Is this true? Uh, that I have indeed seen similar statistics that just in general, um, the Dutch are amongst the, if not the tallest population in the world. And then I would <laughs> just naturally say that most likely that is equally distributed across the across the body. So yeah, with that, they would have the longest legs. I, I agree. <laughs> Are you tall? I am not tall. No. <laughs> Five, nine, give or take. Sorry, that's, my, that's maybe why I had to emigrate from the Netherlands and come to the United States. <laughs> I just didn't belong there. When you're working, you know, so obviously this past year has been a big change for a lot of people, you know, working a lot of times working from home. Have you developed any new hobbies habits or skills while during the, uh, during the pandemic? So I picked up running again. I, uh, I didn't run on a regular basis before. I would go running when I traveled. Now, of course, we haven't traveled in the last 12 months, but uh, I also I haven't been to the gym. I used to go to the gym every morning before going into the office. And with not going to the office, I didn't go to the gym. In fact, the gym was closed for most of the last 12 months. Uh, so I picked up running again. And um, discovered some of the beautiful areas in the area that I live. And um, from that perspective, that's been a, actually one of the, the big positives here. I, I enjoy my runs. I, li- I like to go for long runs, so um, hour and a half to two hours wow. at the time. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's been the, it, <laughs> the one thing in addition to, yes, working from home and Spending a lot of time behind the computer. Um, <laughs> that's the lockdown for you. Yeah. When you run, do you are you a uh, listen to the world around you guy? Are you a I listen to music guy or are you an I listen to podcast guy? I am a uh, listen to the world around you kind of guy. So the um, I, I like the um, I, I describe it as the, um, the the Zen aspect of running. So the um, so the like I let my mind wander and I, I did dislike stimulation during that and some of the best ideas get generated on these runs. But yeah, like I I like to listen to the world around me and of course it's it's not up to me to judge, but I'm surprised by seeing people walking in a park staring at their phone all the time. It's like it's a beautiful place out there. Like it, it, it really like the device can wait uh, for a while, but yeah, that's maybe I'm, I'm getting too old, but that's, uh, that's my, <laughs> yeah. my style. Well, listen, I'm with you. When I do trail running, I'm, I am a listen to the world around me person. I found that when I trail run and listen to music, I often fall. Like I step on something that it causes me to fall. I don't know why, but <laughs> so I stopped. <laughs> yeah. I just don't listen to music when I run. Like then over the winter when the days were shorter, uh, a couple of times that I actually I, I spotted an owl in the tree in the park, which is uh, oh, kind of awesome. unique, like something you don't expect uh, when you live in an urban area. Well, Mark, I appreciate you 
Joining us today on IT Visionaries, sharing your experience in the world of data replication. Uh, like I said to many of our listeners, I'm sure many people did not realize such a specialized service could become its own business, but here we are. The unique demands, thanks for sharing the unique demands, the unique requirements that customers now have for data and replication services. Thank you, happy to be here. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.